In our reading from Matthew, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. God's command is that we are to serve God and serve the government. We are to do both. If we owe the government taxes and respect, we are to give it to them. If we owe the Lord a life of thankful service, we are to give it to him. God, through the Apostle Paul in our reading from Romans, said that we serve God by serving the government because God has established the authority. Paul said this even in the Roman Empire, which was not a government of religious freedom for Christians. Still, God said that the government officials were his servants, whether they acknowledged it or not. So we are to do both. Serve God and serve the government. And yes, we also have passages that tell us that we are to love the Lord above all things and serve him even above the authorities. We do hear the apostles say we must obey God rather than men when they were told not to preach the gospel anymore. But our sinful natures like to take passages like this and apply it to any and every situation. Our rebellious natures like to pit God and authority against each other so that we think we can't possibly do both. We can't possibly serve God and serve authority. For example, the government says you aren't allowed to meet together for a while because it's not safe. And we have the command from God not to give up meeting together. What do we do? Do we look at the government and say, I said something against the commands of God. Now we have to go against it in the most overt way possible. Or do we try to find a way to do both, to serve God and serve the government, which many churches found a way to do? Our rebellious natures like to point out anything that authority says that's not fair. And we reason our disdain for authority by saying that God hates oppression, which he does, but then we think that gives us a reason to ignore authority, to go directly against what they say, and to speak about authority in the worst terms possible. We, by nature, not only go against authority, but also against God. We try to look for any excuse to go along with the sins of the world because we think it's too hard not to. It's too hard to live as a Christian in this sinful world. So if it's legal and everyone else is doing it, it must not be so bad. For example, with sins against the sixth commandment. Everyone watches sexually explicit material. It must not be so bad. Everyone lives together before marriage. So if my kids do it, I won't tell them not to. Gay marriage is legal, and I want to be a loving and supporting person, so I'll support that too, no matter what God says. We like to look for a reason to pit God and authority against each other so that really we can think and do whatever it is we wanted to think 
and do anyway. But that's not the attitude God would have us keep. We are to do both, to serve God and serve authority. It's almost always not an either-or situation. Let's think about that again as we read, once again, Daniel chapter 1, where he was placed in a very difficult situation, where it seemed that he would have to pick between serving God and serving the government. We hear again from Daniel chapter 1. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel did both. He had the command from God not to eat ceremonially unclean food. This, a command that according to Jesus and the apostles, we don't have anymore. But Daniel and his friends, they had this command. The meat that God's Old Testament people were to eat had to have its blood drained. They weren't to eat animals like pigs, so no pork or bacon. 
This food that was served by the king was also most likely a part of pagan worship, making it go even more against Daniel's conscience to eat this food that he was offered. So Daniel had that command from God not to eat ceremonially unclean food, but then he also had the command from the king to eat this ceremonially unclean food. And Daniel, as an exile in a foreign land, could have easily been executed for refusing to obey this command. So Daniel has these two commands, one from God and one from the government. And Daniel did not give any of the easy excuses to make his life easier. Like that it was too hard to live as a Christian in this pagan nation. I'll just have to go along with the sins that everyone else is committing. I'm sure God will understand. Daniel also didn't use this as a reason to ignore and disrespect the king. Instead, Daniel did both. He served and obeyed God, and he served and obeyed his government. Now, I'm sure if the government had pushed further on Daniel and told him to sin against God or die, Daniel would have listened to God rather than men, as he did later when he was thrown into the lion's den. But here it didn't come to that. In this incredibly difficult situation, Daniel found a way to do both. And he puts us to shame. How many times have I ignored and disrespected authority over so much less? How many times have I deliberately disobeyed my God over so much less in order to make my life easier or more simple? And that's why we needed someone to do both perfectly for us. And that person wasn't Daniel. Daniel was a sinful human being just like you and I, even if he did well in this situation. No, we needed someone who always served God perfectly, who always obeyed their government perfectly. And the Lord sent us one. So imagine a government official who is so easily swayed by one mob of people in one morning that he would sentence a perfect, innocent man to whips and flogging. Sentence an innocent man to a crown of thorns and to disgrace. And when that wasn't enough for the mob, this government official would sentence an innocent man to death by crucifixion. That would happen later that This death by crucifixion, one of the most horrible ways mankind has ever dreamed up to inflict pain and death. And that innocent man, Jesus, obeyed the command from that government official perfectly. Even though he could have, Jesus did not use his almighty power to avoid paying this unjust sentence from the authority. Instead, Jesus willingly went to his death so that for every whip that struck Jesus, for every pounding of the nail into his hands and feet at the command of this governing official, our sins 
of rebellion against authority were paid for. Our sins of rebellion against God were forgiven. Jesus suffered to save us. You are forgiven for Jesus' sake. Jesus, who perfectly obeyed authority in our place and who perfectly obeyed God in our place. Remember in the garden, the night before Jesus would be killed, he was praying to the Lord and he knew that the will of God was that he would suffer and die the next day. But he was so distressed by that command from God that he was sweating blood as he prayed. And even in that situation, Jesus still prayed, not my will be done, but yours. And because Jesus did that for you, that's how God sees you. Not as a rebellious enemy, but as his own perfectly obedient child whom he loves. In this world where there are so many difficult decisions we have to make about how best to serve God, Jesus has given us the peace of forgiveness with his death on the cross. Jesus has given you peace with your God so that you can go to him in prayer with any difficulty we are facing in our lives. We live in a nation of outward freedom, but Jesus has given us true freedom. Freedom from sin so that we can serve God with joy. And so we do both. We serve and obey God. We love him because he loved us so much that he would go to the cross for us. He was obedient to death on the cross and so we thank him by being obedient to what he says in his word. We serve God. We also serve the government that God has established. Not because we love our First Amendment rights or because we like the authority over us, but because of what our Savior did for us. The same reason we do any good work, out of thanks for what Jesus has done for us. We do both. We serve God and we serve the government. And when we run into difficult situations where we're not sure what to do, which we might in this confusing, sinful world, we come to our Father in prayer. We run back to the Word to see what our God has to say about it. We struggle with it. And we make a prayerful decision based on what God says. And throughout all this, we need God to be with us. And he is. Just as he was with Daniel. Daniel may have been tempted to think that God wasn't with him anymore as an exile in a foreign land, as a part of the seemingly rejected people of God. But throughout chapter 1, we saw God's guiding hand, how God continued to be with Daniel. God blessed Daniel by giving him an authority over him who looked with favor on him, that official who tried to help him out. God blessed Daniel by blessing the vegetables and water he was eating to make him healthier and better nourished than those who were eating meals fit for a king. God blessed Daniel and his friends with the gifts to serve that government that they were under. 
even in the seemingly tack-on last verse of our reading, we see God's presence. That information that Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus was the leader of a different government, a different nation, which means that God allowed Daniel to outlive the government that would tell him to defy his God. God was with Daniel, his prophet, just as God is with us, his people. Even as we struggle to live as Christians in a sinful world, God is still with us, blessing us the whole way through. God has blessed us with a government that, whose job it is to punish evil and reward good. Has God not blessed us in this nation, this nation of, this financially prosperous nation, this nation that allows us to freely express the gospel without threat of punishment? God has blessed many of you with the gifts to serve that government, and you do or have. And we all know that we have the promise from God, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age which means that you will outlive every physical nation on earth, even though we die. Because even in death, Jesus is with us to take us to be with him in his eternal kingdom of heaven. But while we are still here, we do both. We serve and obey God, and we serve and obey the government. Out of thanks for our Savior Jesus, who did both for us. Amen.